Welcome to the Interim Whisper. The show is all about the future of work and innovation. And so today's Interim Whisper tip of the week is the value of having an offer letter cannot be underestimated employers. You always want to be able to have that. So it starts off the internship really well. So students know what to expect as they're coming in to work with you. It's kind of like terms and conditions of what you expect, the number of hours they're going to work, the days that they're going to have off, anything when they start, when they finish, all of that good stuff, whether they're paid or not. Anyway, that is one of the benefits of Employers for Change platform. We give you those letters, uh, offer letters as examples that you can customize, or also we have the client letters. So important information. So today's guest is Jason Krause. He is the founder of Prepare for VC. He is a serial entrepreneur. He's an investor. He's an author. He's a community builder. He helps startups um, venture forward, which is the name of his book. And we're going to learn all kinds of things about him. So thank you, Jason, for being a guest on the show. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. Oh, me too. So what are five words that you would use to describe yourself? Because I already listed five right off the bat. I was going to say, yeah, you listed uh, some of them already. So, um, but I think, you know, the community builder piece is really important to me. Um, being an entrepreneur as well, like having that mindset of basically always be thinking about, you know, how things can improve and opportunities versus problems and then I'd say the other ones um, you know revolve around uh, being like people centric and focusing on the people I work with the relationships I build um, and being a dog dad is one of them hopefully uh, my dogs are calm during during the interview but yeah I have two Australian shepherds and um, and yeah just uh, or I'd say yeah I'll have um, being an investor as the last one as well. So cool. yeah, part of a few, uh, an early stage venture group and an angel investment group around the Boston area as well. So what do you guys like to invest in? I usually bounce off a question that you throw out there. So what kind of, um, I'm going to guess it's all tech, but what type of uh, industries are you guys invested in or interested in? Yeah. Um, so the focus of that, it, it's our fund is called EQX Fund, and um, EQ is the emotional quotient. So uh, a lot of like focus on the leadership skills and the entrepreneurs, the team itself. Um, so you know some of them are real entrepreneurs um, or corporate leaders. Like we have founders that came from Google and Pfizer before starting their current company. But yeah, in terms of the spaces um you know everything from fintech to a cloud storage company um medical devices and products and um some e-commerce and consumer companies as well so it's, it's kind of uh, well-rounded then yeah I, it's more uh more of a focus on you know the people behind it um variety of industries but we do a lot with the angel group the boston harbor angels and there's a pretty mixed background in there from um, that we turn to for expertise from like life science backgrounds to CFO roles and big companies and you know former entrepreneurs turned investors. So it's uh, good to get all those perspectives and figure out which companies to go into. So if they're in Boston, do they also fund outside of Boston? We have Miami 
angels and they will fund anything in Florida. Well, not anything, but they also fund, they have a preference for things in Florida, but they also fund outside of Florida. Yeah, it's, um, it's across the U.S. So anyone or a couple uh, outside as well that have U.S. entities, but pretty much, um, I mean, the standard before COVID was as long as they could come to Boston for the in-person meeting. Now it's all been virtual and starting to go back to some in-person meetings as well. But the idea is as long as, um, you know, we get to meet and get to know the team really well, uh, they can have their headquarters, you know, any place across the country. That's good. That's really good. I know a lot of people appreciate that. So, And what I think is kind of cool, I guess when I become an investor, this is what I would say is, no, save your money. I'd rather, just, we can do this on Zoom. It's just as fine. I can get to know somebody. I know there's a lot more to be said for in-person and, you know, making that effort. But you know, most startups I know, including myself, you know, we're all bootstrapping and we're on a tighter budget. So it's really nice to be able to have flexible ways of being able to engage, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I met a lot of great um, founders this past year through Zoom and Clubhouse and like all the virtual channels, even um, some of the virtual conferences, you know, uh, had some built in like slots where you could have 20 minute networking sessions and get to meet a lot of people and then follow up with, uh, you know, connections from there. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of the aspects that we're sort of forced into that are going to be here to stay in the long run, um, just because it made everything so much easier. I agree. Were you ever in a fraternity or sorority? No, I was not. Yeah. Okay. I was, and I will tell you that, um, the speed dating kind of thing that happens in business, you know, like whether I go to recruiting events and I'm recruiting on campuses, I'll have 10 minute meetings with students, students, and it goes like this, you know, and I would right. think it's your 20 minute meetings are pretty much the same thing. It's like, oh my God. And you end up having all of this information and you have to decide, okay, who, who do we want to meet again? It reminds me of Rush when we had all of these, you know, girls that came into the sorority house and it was, okay, why should we let them to the next round? Yeah, no, that's a good example. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think that's, so one of the things we focus on too at uh, Prepare for VC is that, you know, understanding the other side of the table and understanding the investor's perspective when we work with startups, um, because like, it can seem, I mean, it can be frustrating to a lot of entrepreneurs if, you know, you don't hear back right away, or it seems like the VC is um, sort of uh, avoiding giving you an answer or saying, you know, come back to us with more traction. But um, yeah, we try to show like the other side of, you know, maybe they're meeting with a thousand companies that year, and they're going to end up investing in six of those and um, trying to, you know, do other methods uh, to sort of help get them to the top of the pile um, while, while still understanding like where the investors are coming from and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it really is exhausting is what I know. I equate it still to like Rush. We would go, oh my God, we did this in a week. We met with, you know, 2000 girls, right? right. And it's, you know, we're only picking 40. So it's the same principle, but it is exhausting to do that. Oh, definitely. But um. I mean, yeah, I think it's great to be able to, you know, meet with 
exciting founders and companies before they're really or before everyone's um you know hurt even heard of their startup or heard of the industry they're going into and um yeah i mean i like getting in on the ground floor there mm, me too all right so what job did you want to have when you were a kid growing up you know there's always everybody may have certain I don't know, influences their parents. You know, my dad was an engineer. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. But, you know, there's always this place where, you know, perhaps it's a parent or some, you know, family member or a teacher that influences us. Or God forbid, it's something we just saw on TV is what a parent would say no to. But is there some type of a job that you wanted to be when you were a little one or a teenager? Yeah, Um Two, I'd say. One was uh, I really liked baseball and wanted to be a professional baseball player. Um, but the other, and uh, yeah, the other one was I really liked, um, you know, I liked writing and the creative writing as well. Um, and, you know, even uh, like when we had to write stories in, you know, elementary school and middle school, um, like that was always one of my favorite um, pieces. And yeah, I wanted to be an author. And um, growing up, I always thought it was like, you're either an author or you're another job, but uh, it's, it's like, you know, it has to be a full-time thing. But then um, it was, uh, I went to a conference called the Next Gen Summit, um, probably four, maybe, yeah, four or five years ago. And um, I heard a, a speaker there, he was a professor at Georgetown and he taught, um, he taught all, he was one of the speakers for the event. He taught all of the students like how to go, um, how to actually become an author and, you know, how to have something creative that you put out there and, you know, get into the world. And it was like, he had this program called the Creators Institute that was designed for people that were either full-time entrepreneurs, full-time students, uh, you know, full-time in a job that they're looking to sort of get to the next level and, um, and you know, had a way of sort of creating a book within a nine to 12 month period without, um, you know, having to be a full-time author. And that was super exciting for me. And I got to uh, release my book um, about, about two years ago now. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it was a great experience being able to do what I had wanted to do since I was a little kid. That is cool. Nine to 12 months. That sounds like, it seems like people write them in three months, but was there a, the course was that long, nine to 12 months to write a book? Yeah. So the idea was, um, so yeah, again, it was something like, you know, it probably could have been, been quicker, but it was designed that, you know, it wasn't something you had to take off to do or something you could spend a certain number of hours a week, stay focused and have editors along the way with you. Um, so like the first phase was doing, you know, conducting research, doing interviews with um, everyone, you know, all the stories that you're gonna build off of throughout the book. Um, second phase was like putting that first draft into place, um, you know, actually getting the words out on the paper and then figuring out how to organize into chapters and, you know, create a, a framework, um, for the book throughout and, you know, doing the edit editing and polishing with the um, editors to create the final version from there. 
Oh, gosh, yeah, it sounds really tedious. I mean, I would think nine to 12, nine months for sure, you know, because some people don't go for another quarter, but nine months seems reasonable. And I would think that they would break it up into, you know, like planning and then writing and then editing like those right. two stages. Um, but that's really interesting. Did, could you write any book or did they tell you that it had to be a certain type of um genre or was it always supposed to have like adult themes or could it be a kid's book because I wrote a kid's book I've never had it published yet but I'm just curious oh awesome <laughs> um no, you, you should go for it yeah it could be any type of any type of book uh but um going in it was designed on basically whatever you were looking to get out of the book so you know in my um in my case it was like advancing my career as an expert for entrepreneurs and as an investor. Um, so, and like somebody that's supporting entrepreneurs. So I wanted to focus on that theme in the book. Uh, others, it was, um, you know, there was, there were a few more in the entrepreneurship space. Uh, some were actually like coming out of, you know, college or early careers and looking to get into um, either, you know, venture capital or um, other tech related businesses that they focused on. Like if I can write a book in this space, uh, it's going to look great, you know, especially as we're talking on the intern pursuit here, um, you know, they the model of the program too was instead of, uh, or basically in addition to everything else you're doing on your resume, if you can put, you've you wrote a book and you're an expert in this space, it's going to look great when you go out for a job from there. Um, so yeah, different people were going in for different reasons. Uh, there were some like just storybooks and fiction books that came out of it too, that, that were really good to read. And, um, just probably people with the, the mindset of like, you know, I've always wanted to create a book and, um, and have had something, uh, yeah, I, met, I know some of the other ones like had had a book they'd been thinking about for a long time and you know, finally had more of a structure around how to actually get it in place and get it, um, get it published. Yeah. So you've um, excited that muse. Now I will tell you though, um, my study is ready. So Intern Pursuit Inc. is the parent company. And then we're doing a DBA as employers for change, just like the four, like you guys have and prepare for VC. So we're like that. Anyway, my study is ready. And I gave it to a couple of people, uh, marketing guys. They said, you have really cool illustrations. You need to have people. <laughs> You're an HR company. I went, yeah, I kind of knew you were going to say that. So we're going to go back and put like pictures of, you know, our, our team and things like that in there. So it's, you know, reflective more of people. But other than that, it's pretty much ready to go. And so now I'm, you know, looking to see, who can I publish it with? Like a, you know, an academic institution or, or, you know, higher ed or academia, or it could be on SHRM, you know, Society of Human Resource Management. If you know anybody like right. that, those are the places I'm looking to publish, you know. Oh, you. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I can, um, I can look through see who might be a good intro for you there yeah that's great. oh yeah harvard harvard business review would be awesome they're over there in boston um mit you know any of those places <laughs> those would be good yeah okay thank you i'm going to take you up on that after the show for sure um so internship did you do one if so what were they like tell me that they weren't all bad hopefully 
No, I enjoyed them. Um, yeah, I did. In, in college, I did um, a few like, um, you know, finance and wealth management ones that, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot and had great, um, I really liked the, the, the bosses I worked with and, you know, the people I got to work with there and like, there, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like, you know, fetching coffee for people. Really? It was yeah, actually, they invested in you. Yeah, they invested in me and, um, you know, got to learn a lot from all the ways they were thinking about different types of deals and, um, you know, managing different um, of their clients that they worked with. So, you know, yeah, really enjoyed that aspect. And then the big one um, was I went to grad school right after, like I did a master's program the year after um, graduating college. And during that program, I did an internship with the, the same angel group I'm still a part of now, uh, the Boston Harbor Angels. And, you know, that got me really involved. Um, I'd always been interested in the finance, you know, the finance side was also excited about the entrepreneurship side. And that was a great mix of both, like, um, you know, being on the investor side, getting to hear all the startups, uh, what they were doing from day one and trying to pick and choose which ones would be successful and, you know, get involved in those. Um, yeah. So that internship really like helped me figure out what I wanted to do and, you know, uh, where I wanted to go after graduating there. Mm. That's a really good story to hear too, because sometimes most of the people come on and they have said, I would say probably 80% have not had a good experience as in, you know, when they were interning. And so I always like hearing the good ones. So that says a lot about your investment fund that you have chosen to partner up with, but, you know, hopefully they'll get a shout out that way too. Again, yeah. well, did, but <laughs> No, and I mean, um, I'd say all like I was never really good at just uh, you know applying applying to an internship and getting it that way. It was more like I connected with somebody at any of the companies, and you know, like actually got to know them first, and then um, like they either had an opening or you know created some sort of role and uh, got started from there. So it, yeah, it was less of like, they have a Indeed posting or, you know, some other job posting up and more of like, I connected with people that I wanted to learn from and work with. Mm, good, good. I'm really glad to hear that. Okay, so where you mentioned you went to school, where did you go to college? Where was your undergrad, your master's, all of that good stuff? Yeah, I went to Colgate in upstate New York, and um, then came back to the Boston area at uh, uh, Babson for grad school. Mm -hmm. Now I've heard of Babson. I have heard of Colgate, but I didn't know, is it in any way related to the, the product line? Is there a connection between maybe the family that started that company? Yeah, it was um, one of the, or someone in the same family. I don't know if he was the founder. Or I'm not going to hold the you. son of the founder, okay. but yeah. Um, yeah, they were like, they were a big donor to the college early on. Um, and uh, yeah, the school's been around about like, or they had the 200 year anniversary a few years ago. Um, Is it liberal so, arts? Yeah, it's a liberal arts college. Oh, okay. So I graduated from Rollins College down here and it's over a uh, hundred years old too. So they usually have a population of about 
I want to say maybe 2000 students on the campus. They keep it very small and intimate, like 20 people in a class. Is that what your school was like? Yeah, it was. It was, um, I think, like 23, 2400. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, pr pretty small classes, um, you know, and um, and yeah, I mean, anywhere, anywhere you went on campus, you'd see people. Oh, yeah. Knew, uh, Always running into a small school. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows you. <laughs> so you can't get away from stuff too easily. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from there, when you did that and the internships, how did you end up where you are now? Because were there other places that you worked? You know, was it different industries? Did you, it sounds like you really knew what you wanted to do. And many times when, you know, I'm working with interns or even, you know, grown up adults, they're still sitting there going, I don't know what I want to do. And, or, or they're wanting to reinvent themselves. You sound like you really knew what you wanted to do. Was, is that the case? Um, so in college, I'd say I like, or I was an econ and math major, um, did some like, yeah, financial internships, but I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go, like, or how I wanted to use everything. Um, I, like I had been sort of entrepreneurial, um, you know, as a kid, uh, sold baseball cards and in college, I like re-rented out my textbooks to other students after, you know, uh, and like did a few other things. Um, but yeah, I was applying um, or applying to jobs and also grad schools at the same time, um, looking at like a few different mass, like master's programs from finance to um, the one at, the one at Babson and um, and I really liked, yeah, when I, when I went to Babson, uh, the focus was, so, you know, they had the aspects of like learning more about finance and marketing and all the other characteristics I thought would be really good to own up on. But it was also um, the big focus of Babson overall is on entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, it was a combination of like, or the way they had framed it was it's either you know, whatever you go into from here, it's either being more entrepreneurial in the workplace and coming up with new ideas for a company, creating your own company. Um, a lot of the uh, students also, you know, just um, or came from like family businesses and or just other company, you know, some of the MBA students were coming in from companies that were they were going back to after and going into more of a managerial role. Um, but you know, overall, like, I liked the idea of, like, um, you know, being able to bring some of that creativity I'd always enjoyed into more of the financial aspects. And also, um, yeah, as I get started on the internship there, like, understood more of what it meant to be in venture capital and, you know, got excited about that pathway as well. You know, when I was preparing for the show, one of the things that I had read is that um, many people like right now, they still think, oh, you know, having your own business, it's so cool. They have no idea how, how hard this is. They really don't. And I would tell them, I'd look at them and go, this is like the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. And I've been through like deaths of family and you know, divorce and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I just went there. 
this is a choice that we make to just, you know, beat ourselves up to, you know, to be able to get something to actually stand up and be able to grow it. It's not the same as people will say, oh, it's like your baby. No, it's not. I, I, I'm not personifying that business in any way, shape or form. It is there to do a job and, and to create jobs and opportunity for, you know, the people that are with me. So this is, I, I just don't understand why they think it's going to be so glamorous. Uh, and then they give up, you know, very quickly. So, you know, there's that statistic too. I think that it's going to get away from that idea of it being so glamorous because this is hard and people are just, I don't think that they're really that driven, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's something, uh, you know, we have a lot of discussions about in our, um, you know, webinars and chats and like networking events too, is, uh, you know, a lot of times, I mean, if you look in the news, all the stories are about the companies that are raising, you know, hundred million dollar rounds right. or the companies that are super successful already. Um, and, you know, you don't hear the stories of, like five years, six years before that, the company, you know, was struggling to figure out what to do the week after and, you know, trying to figure out if there were, um, you know, how they were going to get off the hey, ground. Any bill. Pick a bill. Yeah. Pick a bill or pick, uh, you know, how you get from the first 500 users to the next, you know, batch of users and like, yeah, keep, keep the momentum going. Uh, so, I mean, all of them, like even um, even companies like Airbnb almost ran out of money at the early stages, you know, um, trying to figure out how they actually get people excited about everything that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is truly is really, really hard work. One of the things that I think um, many of my people that start a business don't realize is that for me, what I look for. <clears throat> in an intern is I go, what can you take off of my shoulders? What can you do that's going to make my life easier? I want you to stand out that way because then that's going to be one of the best gifts I can give you is to help you find that job because it may not be with me, but, you know, impress me, show me, show me that you can do something. Um, very entrepreneurial mindset, very, you know, creative people that are problem solvers. That's definitely what I look for. And I think that's probably one of the best gifts that people could receive as an intern um, is to work for companies like this because it really will get them out of their box and you know force them to um, to be brave and to be confident. Because you really yeah. gotta ooze confidence, right? No, I think that's that's perfect. Um, and yeah, I think. You know, one of the, I mean, one of the things I really liked you just said too, is um, I have a lot of discussions with, with uh, founders, you know, they're, they have companies that are going to grow really quickly or are go growing already from could be one or two co-founders to, you know, teams of 10 or more within six to 12 months and um, could be, you know, 50 plus pretty soon after that. Um, but yeah, managing you know, it's always interesting, like how people figure out who to come onto the team and who they want involved. And um, a lot of times people, 
you know, I, I guess it's a balance, you know, from my perspective, it's a balance of like, you need somebody that thinks differently and thinks outside, you know, has a different skill set from you that can um, challenge, you know, and come up with new ideas, but also having a little bit of overlap where it's, they can take something off your plate and manage some of the responsibilities or, you know, uh, be, yeah, you know, manage some of the responsibilities, some, somebody else on the team, if they need some extra time or, you know, need to dedicate it to a different task. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I know that w- when we, this is totally offline. Um, but when you and I had first met, you know, we were talking about, oh, I know how to do it on zero budget. And I think Steve asked me, hey, can you teach a class on that? I'm going to bring that back up in this conversation because I'd love to be able to teach a class in that um, to your group, because I think that is um, something that people don't realize that's where all of that creativity comes from. Yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely saying yes to you on that one. <laughs> all right. It's on the air. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We know that it's there. Yeah. Okay. So that's part of how you got to where you are now. Um, But you're investing. So how did you get to this place where you could invest? Because I'm pretty sure people would like to understand that. Did you take an idea, scale it, sell it, made millions of dollars. So now you're an investor or did you just marry well, or did you come from the Colgate family? Who knows? Whatever. Or (laughs) or none of those. (laughs) You just nickeled and dimed and saved it up and boom, you're an investor. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the pathway was, uh, basically after grad school, I got involved as a, um, on the deal flow side for an early stage fund. Um, and yeah, I was basically meeting with, you know, meeting with, uh, or reviewing all the decks and business plans and other emails that came in trying to figure out who would get passed on to meet the rest of the investment team. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, met a lot of companies there, was still involved in the angel group as a member of that fund and group as well. Um, and then, yeah, so I was with the fund for about a year um, and then launched Prepare for VC from there. Uh, joined a couple, actually, yeah, joined another fintech startup in the middle as well. Um, that was like analyzing the crowdfunding space as it, as it um, really right when it got started and, you know, being able for anybody to invest in stock of startup companies. Um, but well, it yeah. It sounds like you had that insider edge and you could tell which companies you guys thought were going to be really good investments and you were able to leverage that to your advantage. Yeah. So it was like, I learned a lot and figured out, you know, what invest or what made a good investment and um, you know, what, what to stay away from or, mm-hmm. you know, what some of the red flags were that like, there's a lot of exciting companies at first glance and then it's figuring out, you know, what what uh yeah what to avoid from there or when it's mm-hmm. not a good time to invest um and yeah i mean i started my company prepare for vc like with the goal of taking that everything i was learning and was actively involved in on the investor side and bringing it to the entrepreneurs to um you know to help move to the top of the pile and not be just one of a thousand emails that 
an investor isn't going to look at, you know, uh, actually how to move through each stage in the process, how to negotiate and, you know, actually get a meeting, how to go from that first meeting to getting through, um, you know, through the due diligence process to an investment. And like our team's grown and scaled um, and, you know, built up a, a, a startup community and an accelerator program and some other resources around that as well. Um, and on the investing side, it's been more of the relationships too, like uh, partnering up with that angel group again, um, another group um, that's traditionally real estate investors that wanted to get involved and diversify into the startup space as like a balance from, you know, more cash flow focused deals to longer term, higher, like higher risk, higher reward investments and sort of, you know, figuring out how to put all the pieces together and create good opportunities for everyone we partner with. Mm, that does sound really good. So one, okay, I'm going to share one of my wins. So I found out today I got accepted into Orange County Cluster Initiative, and I'm being put into the performance and development uh, track. So this comes with a lot of perks, like what you, you're describing, you know, like SBIR money, people to help you get that type of funding in also. But um, so oh, congrats. Yeah. Yay. I'm excited. And Orange County government has told me, yes, that they would come on as a customer. So pretty oh, amazing. Yeah. Pretty excited. Um, coming back over here. Uh, let's see. Most influential person in your life and why? And just so you know, they can be living or dead. Yeah, I'm going to. Um, it can be family, too. You're not limited. Sure. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, um, yeah, my, my parents like always, uh, you know, supporting me along the way. And um, they're also really like, or, I mean, I, I've learned a lot from them, um, you know, in terms of basically like putting relationships first, uh, you know, getting, um, yeah, like building, building trust, getting to know everyone really well. And, um, you know, I always look forward to everything we do together. And I've also learned a lot on the entrepreneurship side, like, um, you know, my dad's always had his own business in the, in the real estate industry. And, you know, my, my mom's, um, been involved in like, um, you know, she always sort of thinks outside the box, like traditionally she had worked in a, in a magazine and, um, was always like on the creative front there. So, you know, I think both of that, like creative and business personality came into, uh, everything, you know, everything I've done as well and helped a lot there. Um, I and kind then of just, thought your mom yeah, yeah. was going to be an English teacher. Somebody was going to be an English teacher because you like to write. And that's <laughs> usually the case with guys because they had somebody that was influencing them there. Um, my grandfather had a printing company, but I don't know if that. Yeah. Counts. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where you, you got inspired to be an author. Also, you got to work right. at a print shop. I don't know, maybe did that, you print books? Uh, yeah, everything. Um, wow. So, I mean, that could be, that could be part of it too. Yeah. The, then entrepreneurship, it sounds like it's definitely out there. People that are in real estate. Yeah. It's very entrepreneurial for sure. Uh, because, you know, when you're having to stand up your own business, whether you're 
and fin, you know, finance or, you know, insurance, you're essentially a, a contractor for that company. So you are in business for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that sounds pretty, um, pretty good. Was there anything that your dad or your mom always some piece of wisdom that they would say to you? Like my brother and I, we were talking about this yesterday. I went, well, was it yesterday? It was uh, Sunday for the, um, it was not yesterday. Uh, but for Halloween, we were handing out candy. And one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, how DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, it's like, you know, the hottest topic. And we were saying, you know, our parents, we don't, neither of us, none of us, including my youngest brother, we never remember our parents ever pointing anything out about race or um, any type of ethnicities or or gender, or even anything that was in sexual orientation. They never, they just never made comments. So we didn't grow up with that. So we don't see that as uh, anything that's, that's weird. We just think everybody should get along because that's, that's what we were taught. And even though that's not necessarily a piece of wisdom, it is how we were, you know, raised. And so it's really funny how um, that influence that family has on us can really shape and mold a mindset of values that hopefully are something, because you said relationship, that your parents were very relational. Yeah, yeah I'd say like, I guess, yeah, this is less what they said, but what other people say about them. Um, so mm -hmm. like, one of our, um, yeah, like one of the investors that's gone into, you know, deals throughout the years with my dad. And now he's uh, also in, you know, um, in the fund that I'm a part of as well. You know, I'd gone to him, like, you know, traditionally when you're going out and looking for investment, you know, you're uh, putting all the, you know, all the investment materials together, like being able to explain all the ins and outs of everything you're doing. And, um, you know, he basically said, look, like I invest, uh, or this is, uh, my dad's friend, like that's known him for a long time and gone into all those deals. He's like, anything, you know, anything your dad goes into, I go into just, I, you know, I trust him. We've built this relationship and I don't even need to look at it. And like, he has, you know, people that follow him like that because, you know, he's just, um, he keeps them up to date on all the things that are going well, but the things that aren't going well and, you know, the things they need to know, um, like he'll give them a phone call and make sure they know everything that's going on. And, you know, I think that's a great, great model to, mm -hmm. to go after and, you know, have, um, you know, people that, that um, just are there for the relationship and, you know, uh, they'll, they'll go out to whatever, you know, enjoy, time you know just spending time together not talking business and then you know when something comes up they're they're there for um you know it seems like or it's presented as more of something that's beneficial to everybody involved rather than you know something you have to pitch or sell or you know get yeah, people uh, interested selling is not really selling selling is about a relationship and making sure that whatever it is, the service or product you're providing is something that the other person can use, right? But it is people like to be, um, to do business with people they know, and they trust because it's about the relationship, it's about trust, and it's about um, feeling that, you know, their, their relationship is valued. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I mean, uh, 
forget where the oh it was actually one of um it was somebody posted in our community the other day uh he's a he's a sales coach um mark kitts and the prepare for vc community he posted uh, like that the best time to sell is when you're not selling and um you know if you focus less on like trying to get people to buy things and more on building the relationship and the opportunity um and see how you can actually help help with what they're doing then you know that's the the best way to do it yeah it's like that down in one of the co-working places i'm in i'm going to give a little shout out it's orlando game space just uh canal and chad and the rest of the people that are down there they're very very intentional in getting to know each other and you know when somebody is coming in to work in that space they sit down and they go what is it that they're going to be able to contribute into the rest of the group and what can we contribute to them so it is about giving that value back and i i think that's so cool all right yeah. so we're going to take a brief time out just to acknowledge our sponsor the intern whisperer is brought to you by cat5 studios who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world visit cat5 studios for more information to learn how cat5 studios can help your business thank you cat5 studios all right so we're back to our show in the second half of our show we're going to talk about the future of jobs and industries in 2030 and we're going to look at what is that going to be like you know what are your predictions because we have so many jobs that are being automated we know that there's like the, the marginal people, so to speak, um, where are they going to fit into that? And that's one of the questions that I'm always looking at. Where is the, the margin, the low margin? Where are they going to be getting into um, jobs? So obviously, we're trying to help them find that place so that they can have some technology skills. And that's the big, the big push is to be actually be able to help people get skilled. Um, that's Part of what my company, Employers for Change, is all about is skilling people, you know, from this is my goal. And I'm going to say it even on the air because that's big when you say something like that. So my goal is to make a three-month internship or three months of a mid to senior level person working with an entry-level person equivalent to one year of experience. And that is freaking hard. But I'm going, I know how to do that. So there's that think like an Olympian. And I'm going, yes, I can do that. So that is my uh, focus. But when we talk about this as an industry, we know that COVID has had a huge impact on jobs and industries in this past year. Automations, robots, augmented reality, all of that, we're seeing that. What do you think it's going to look like in startup world? We'll just pick that one. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's more you know, more of a focus on, I mean, as you like through co colleges now and through, uh, you know, jobs people are going into, there's been more of a focus on the up and coming technologies, you know, everybody learning anything from like blockchain and AI development to just how to, how to work with the existing technologies that are out there in businesses, you know, understanding like um, how to manage different tasks, communicate with team members. And um, a lot of that piece you can learn in, uh, you know, pretty quickly in an internship um, versus, uh, you know, more of the, the focus pathway of, um, you know, getting deep into uh, 
you know, a development degree or something like that. But um, I think in the future or so, like, it's interest, interesting, I guess, because we see right now there are a lot of jobs uh, that traditionally, you know, traditionally, like, would be, um, you'd see, you know, we're pretty or traditionally we're seen as like low, lower level jobs that just people aren't being able to find and hire higher work. Um, so I think like there's a shortage in some industries that we see, you know, at least in the short term, um, there's a lot of demand for jobs in spaces that before it might even have been harder to, to get a job in. Um, other industries, it's, it's still hard to get you know, to get even an interview and to get in the door because um, they're, you know, especially like a lot of demand right now for anything remote work or anything, um, you know, that, that's been a big increase the last year or so is, um, you know, jobs where you can work from anywhere or even jobs that offer some more of that flexibility of maybe, you know, you only go in a few days a week and you know you have the ability to work from a co-working space or work from home or any other location there um but yeah if we're looking at longer term trends i think you know one of the things is that this past um past few months have been the most people quitting their jobs than ever before mm -hmm. and a lot of those are um there's been a large influx in like new entrepreneurs and people starting businesses that you know right now might be one or two person maybe like three to five person ventures that they're looking to get off the ground um in the future you know short and long term uh as those grow into more small businesses and startups um you know they're gonna need talent and people coming in and working with them as well um so yeah, I mean, it's, it's always, um, yeah, I think like the, the challenge there and the opportunity there is like, there's a lot of people that want to build their own idea and be, you know, or they're really passionate about something they want to create from the ground up. It's harder to find the co-founder and the next person, you know, that second or third hire to come on board and be a part of this venture. Um, but if you're, you know, if you can create the right story that gets everybody you talk to excited about it, um, you know, and if you're in the right place talking with, like even at the, anything from, you know, internship to co-founder level, like that whole, that whole, uh, you know, whole window there, if you're out there talking to people and constantly, you know, meeting, figuring out like who's involved in what and, um, what opportunities might be in perfect alignment with ideas you've already had in place or, you know, a vision you're just as excited about as the founder, then um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to get involved there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there will be, instead of maybe people being employees with small to medium-sized companies, they might end up being contractors, right? The gig thing for sure. And, okay. you know, but a lot of people like the security that comes with having a job, a paycheck of what they know they can count on because they may not be somebody that has a mindset of trying to, you know, 
hunt and then kill, but you know, they eat, so to speak. So, you know, it, it goes back to, yeah, you're not really hunting and killing. You're actually, it's, it's going to be, you're being friends, like, you know, Mr. Rogers, like, let's all be, you know, in the neighborhood and we can do business with each other in the neighborhood. It's more like that. Anyway, I feel like there, there's going to be a need for people that might be on the lower end to be those machinists that can actually repair the robots, to be the people that can come in um, and teach some of the automations because people that are on usually on that lower, like let's say a garbage man. Garbage men are paid really, really well. And they will at some point in time have autonomous, you know, automated garbage services that come around and pick things up. But I don't think it's going to be the same as when there's a person and a person is able to, you know, sense that there's something wrong, you know, like this is really gross. This is kind of dark, but you know, somebody puts a body in a, in a trash can and then boom, you know, they're in there like that kind of stuff, you know, maybe the machines don't pick that stuff up. Anyway, that's where I, I'm always thinking about those things. Like what are the jobs that they're going to be able to do? Is it going to be that they're the person in the restaurants? No, because now restaurants are recognizing that people don't want to come and work in food services. So now we have to automate. And that means food would be prepared probably at processing plants and brought in and warmed up and then, you know, or they're cooked on site, but with less staff, you know, there's going to be all kinds of ways that our lives are going to change for sure. Like stacking groceries on the shelves in the grocery store may not be the person that's working in Publix anymore. I would be really sad to see grocery stores get away from people because I like talking to people in the grocery stores and hearing, oh, what is the new product and why is this good? Anyway, uh, I digress. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think there's some some things you can't replace. Like, I mean, the, the last example was, you know, on the restaurants, um, you can like takeout's not a substitute for sitting in a restaurant. You know, if it's the food, you can get that. You can yeah. use any of the delivery yeah, methods, yeah. but yeah, it's being there and, you know, having a waiter or waitress and like being in the environment. And I don't think you can, yeah, you, you know, there's some aspects that you can't home. replace. It's not like, the same thing where, you know, right. presentation of the food and, and just the ambience of the restaurant and being able to get out of the house. It's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. important <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so the last one that I want to be able to bring up is social impact. I really have seen a lot of startups being focused on climate control, on water, on, you know, having food, you know, scarcity, all of these topics, in addition to, you know, being able to skill. To me, those are all big social impact areas. Um, I think that that is significant. There was this uh, something, I, I found this really interesting, electric airships. Now we had somebody else on our show a month ago and we were talking about how airplanes were gonna be you know, using electricity. I went, I'm not so crazy about that one. I don't know, what, <laughs> what if the plug got, I don't know. It just didn't seem good to me. Anyway, that there was this um, flight shaming and it was flicksham is a, uh, the term. And it was flight shaming because the amount of fuel that an airplane takes to be able to go, you know, and move people around, is it really that efficient? Is there, you know, better ways that we could 
be careful about our climate and about our air, you know, purity, so to speak. So I felt like there, there's this huge movement and it's going to probably change how we travel, how we consume things, you know, how we're going to um, be responsible, tiny homes, for example, using containers instead of, you know, taking down a forest. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, no, I think that's definitely, oh, bless you. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely an important area there. And um, it's a combination, like the, the companies and the startups, uh, the entrepreneurs that are, you know, really working on this space. Um, it's a combination of companies where this is the first priority, like that's what their business is. They're a clean energy or a clean tech business, but there's also other ones where it's just a core. All right. So we're going back. I mean, you were talking about, you know, the um, environmental issues that were out there and how there's a big push for those. Yeah. So I think there's, um, yeah, there's two sides. There's the startups that are specifically focused on environmental issues. You know, there might be clean tech ventures or um, other companies you know, specifically focused on that space. And then there's others that are like just building more CSR, like corporate social responsibility initiatives from the beginning into their startup. So, you know, it could be say a consumer products company, for example, that wants to use sustainable packaging and everything that they um, sell to their customers or, you know, other products and services that aren't necessarily a clean tech company, but that's um, sort of built into their mission and vision of the business. Um, so yeah, I think both of those are making, um, you know, making strong impacts. And then on the investment side, like a lot of times we talk about either there's, you know, venture investors or impact investors, but I think a lot of investors, uh, even from the traditional venture and angel sense are thinking about you know, the impact each of their investments are making when they're picking and choosing from a few that might be, you know, say they've narrowed it down or there's three they're really excited about, but you know, one is in a space they're or making an impact in something they're super passionate about. It could be something like, uh, like green energy, it could be a healthcare company and um, a fighting a particular disease or, you know, um, or an area that they have a tie to or a passion for. Um, it could be anything else that the startup founder is focused on or the team itself is, uh, you know, um, like they want to support diverse teams or teams from their local area or region or you know, anything else that's important to the investor uh, could also be, you know, a reason beyond the financial impact they're making, um, you know, also having that double-sided social impact as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yep. Um, best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? Yes, yeah, say the best advice is getting, um, getting out there and, you know, sharing your ideas, um, sharing what you're working on as early as possible to get as much advice as you can, but not, you don't have to implement every single piece of advice you hear. It's, you should be talking with multiple people from different perspectives and filtering it all down into 
what's best for what you want for your company. Um, and yeah, basically, you know, being able to um, keep going through that process, uh, whether it's, you know, on a startup you're building or whether you're going through your career, um, like there's, a, I was on, I was on a call earlier with somebody that has, um, you know, outside of his business, he has his personal, what he calls a board of advisors. And mm -hmm. uh, he talks with, you know, somebody that's an expert in different industries that are different pieces of life, everything from like the business side to, um, you know, a wellness, wellness coach and, um, you know, has different people he turns to depending on if it's a family issue if it's uh health and wellness if it's with his business if it's managing team members and you know uh keeping that separate from the team he turns to on his company where you know he has those people and support network he can ask um you know for advice and bring them all together they might all have something different they say but you know, he can then take that information in and filter it down into what, what should be done next, uh, as you go forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So how can our listeners contact you? What's your website? What social channels do you want them to reach out on? You know, and if you want to share, share a phone number or an email, what, what would you like us, uh, our listeners to know? Sure. Yeah, so they can check out um, the Prepare for VC website is prepare for with the number four VC for venturecapital.com. Um, and then on that page, there's also um, the community button that'll bring you to our free startup community and any of the listeners can join in there as well. And then my uh, personal website, jasonkraus.me. Um, oh, spell your last name. Uh, oh, K-R- K-R-A-U-S. Yep. So yeah, Jason K-R-A-U-S dot M-E. Um, we'll have, it has a link to uh, my social media channels and contact information to, um, to follow up and happy to connect with anybody that took the time and listened today. All right. Well, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and our production team, Becca Coffey, associate producer intern, video and auditing, Ed, our Steve Neese, Ayanna Sanders, our interns, Nick Morales and Alex Teal, music by Dave Francis, Sophie Lloyd, Charles Fleming, and Elijah Sutton, and sound effects by Matt Miller, Miguel Sintra, and Dave Francis. Be sure to visit employers, the number four, change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can get matched with amazing intern talent and be recognized as an employer for change that skills and upskills your employees. Thank you for supporting the Intern Whisper by subscribing to our show on Podbean or your favorite podcast channel. Jason, this has been delightful. I'm really glad I got to spend this time with you. Thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Yeah, thanks for having me.